Lindsay Rogers here again from the distribution operations and planning team. And I'm excited to tell you about this episode of the grid operations and planning podcast. As you know, this year has brought a lot of changes for all of us, requiring us to adapt the way we normally do things both personally and professionally. Well, electric utilities were no different, particularly when it came to changing practices in the control centers and they were required to find new ways to balance the need to maintain safe and reliable operation for customers while protecting employee health. This episode, Van Holsenbach, a technical executive and distribution operations at EPRI, sits down with Jason Acosta, the distribution control center manager for Georgia Power. They talk about one of the innovative approaches that Georgia Power had previously implemented in the control center that came in pretty handy back in March when the pandemic hit the United States. That approach, the ability for distribution operators to operate the system remotely, was critical to operating during a pandemic. And this episode walks through how they did it. Take it away, Van. Thanks, Lindsay, and thank you, Jason, for taking the time to speak with me today. As Lindsay mentioned, the ability of your distribution system operators to perform all their duties from outside the control center created many advantages for you to respond to the pandemic. But it's my understanding that this capability was already in place well before the pandemic. What were your initial drivers to enable this functionality? So for a long time, we've had the ability to operate our OMS outside of the control center uh, we use that during storms for dispatch from the field to allow our operators to focus primarily on switching and, and safety documents such as clearances. Our supervisors regularly logged in from home to support the center when they were off shift. Uh, they provided storm support uh, for the operator, researched events, and just generally monitored the workload. So we knew we had that ability. On the SCADA side, there were a few select people outside of the control center that had the ability to operate SCADA remotely from the field. Our distribution automation group used that functionality for testing and programming electronic devices, so we knew the cybersecurity issues had been worked out already. Then we were hit with a couple hurricanes. It continued on and off. Uh, we got hit with Matthew and Hermine kind of back-to-back -back where we brought in some operators from other utilities or some of our sister companies. Space became a problem inside the control center, so we're looking for places to put Alabama Power, Gulf Power, Mississippi Power operators that were supporting us during storms that would be required to operate remotely. Uh, that kind of opened the door of, hey, if we can operate remotely in this situation, let's test can we operate remotely from home uh, for the thunderstorm level storms or the emergency, uh, emergency need to fill a shift such as somebody calls in sick. Or if we needed to bail out of a center, we could ask somebody uh, to log in remotely from home to monitor something uh, while we're transitioning to the alternate center. Okay, so, so when you approached your operators to work from home as part of the pandemic response, what were some of the, the topics or concerns that they brought up at that time? I think the initial concerns were not having the support, um, you know, operators at, 
I would say in most utilities, but definitely in ours, they operate as a team. Uh, they're responsible for a geographical area, but they rely on their peers that are next to them to check switching, uh, to help with workload, help even answer the phone sometimes. Uh, that, that was one of the big concerns. Uh, the other one was just screen real estate. We typically operate off of five 30-inch monitors. Uh, they were going home with a laptop and uh, maybe another 30-inch monitor. So I, I know you have operators that are in early levels of their training, and they usually sit with a mentor that really approves all their actions. Were they allowed to work from home as well? So initially, we were only going to allow our level A, which is our highest level operator, to work from home. The thought was those were the most experienced, probably posed the the least amount of risk. But very quickly, as soon as we decided to uh, allow operators, actually, we were still testing whether we could do it or not, testing the phone systems. We had sent some folks home with computers and and monitors to test to see if their connection would work. So we hadn't even really started. And one of our employees had a close contact with a COVID positive uh, test. And that quickly made us reevaluate. Maybe we ought to get everybody set up to operate from home. So our our level Bs who were fully shift qualified, we we said we allow them to work from home as well. And the other level Cs or those who are not fully qualified, uh, we would kind of put them on pause. So to answer that question, the level C operators who are, are not fully qualified to fill a shift alone, some of them are working from home, but in a dispatch function only. They're working and paired up with another shift qualified operator uh, remotely via text and phone call and such, but their permissions remain the same. That They're not allowed to perform any uh, multi-point switching. They're not allowed to issue energized work permits or hotline tags or whatever the term the industry is most familiar with. And are their roles limited just by procedure or did they not have control through some kind of electronic means or access control within the systems? It's by procedure. We, we have, their access levels are of an operator, but procedurally they're not allowed to, to do specific tasks. Well, I know, I know when the new technology is first deployed in the field, you, and especially in as big of a deployment as you had, there were, had to be some bumps and things you just didn't think of that came up. What were some of the obstacles you had to overcome during the remote operations? So fortunately, we knew some of the hurdles already from our previous test of operating from home. And technology has improved since. So our phone system, we knew was going to be a challenge. We work off of a profile type of phone system where an operator can log into a phone profile from anywhere really in the state. And and that phone number rings to that line they log into. So so that created some challenges. Uh, we, We end up having to forward those lines to cell phones initially, to operators' personal cell phone. We got the technology working, and this is one of the improvements, where the soft phone or the IP phone that lives on the computer could replicate a desk phone. We got that technology working, and that's something we didn't have in our original pilot. The radio, our radio system worked very well. We, we use an LTE-based radio system. 
that works almost as well from home as it does the control center. One of the challenges we didn't anticipate was communication, both from leadership and peer-to-peer. From the leadership side, we found it much more difficult to share a consistent message with the team. Some processes change frequently, both in the center and in the field. One example is after-hours crew call-out. Because of social distancing and headquarters separation, call-out process changed several times in the first few months. We needed to make sure operators had access to the current version of the process and only the current version. So we settled on teams, posts, and document sharing for group communication from leadership versus sending out emails. That helped a lot with making sure only the current process was was out there. And for peer-to-peer communication, operators picked the tool that worked best for them. Some use chat tools, some use text messages and phone calls. So the, the, the home AC power and internet service didn't, you know, up to the same standards as what you have in the control center. Did you have to mitigate any issues that accompanied those systems going out? Yeah, that, that was really one of the first ones that the AC and the, and the, um, the connection to the corporate network, the VPN back to the corporate network, were, were kind of our two early challenges we, we knew we had to address. Uh, the, the plan we put in place is is when operators are working remotely, which, which is more than half per shift usually, someone in the center is, is responsible for, for picking them up quickly if they lose home power or lose uh, their connection to the corporate network. And we've had that happen several times that during, you know, the brief summer thunderstorm an operator loses power uh, they you know on their cell phone will call into the control center say i'm i'm down i need you to pick up whatever geographical area they were responsible for and then they hop in their vehicle and, and drive to the control center to fill that shift if storms are predicted they may come into the center to work their shift anyway both from a having support standpoint and historically they're their power goes out enough that they need to, to plan for that. So, so we've been pretty successful with that, with operators uh, making that decision on their own. So we heard on the, the COVID calls, somebody brought up, you know, the fact that at home you have children or other people that have, maybe could have unintentional access to these systems. Is there anything you did to uh, prevent that from happening? You know, initially, no, because we we want to treat our operators like professionals. But after we heard some concerns spread by by others, and even the COVID call, we decided, yeah, we, we do want to reinforce the expectations, especially with of the skate access that they need to lock their computers when when not in use. They need to log out of systems when not in use, uh, which is our our normal procedure inside the control center. Uh, we we considered if we should create you know some sort of sign out form where the operators are expected to sign a form to say they'll do these things. We decided not to go that route. We'd already signed out the computer mainly for tracking, uh, so we'd know who to go to when when it comes time to end all of this. It was mainly just reinforcing expectations around just cybersecurity in general. It, you know, even something as simple as a as a child going and playing with a computer, uh, just reminding them of hey, this is a real possibility that could cause kind of some unintended consequences if, if they do that. 
So what percentage of your operators chose to continue to report to the center instead of working from home? So of the 82 operators, probably less than three or four chose to report every day to the control center that had the ability to work from home. The screen real estate and support were, were some of the main concerns. Initially, we weren't going to allow that. If they had the ability to work from home, we were going to require it just from a social distancing standpoint. But because of the size of our control center and the number of people that were working from home successfully, we, we did allow folks to come back in. Uh, and there's some benefit to us from that as well because we then have more people on the floor to answer rollover phone calls, uh, which is something I didn't mention earlier. Initially, too, like a lot of other utilities, we, we assigned desks so that operators were not hot swapping desks between day and night. Uh, in most cases, an operator would be assigned to a specific console or specific desk, and no one else would ever work that desk. So we felt like we'd, we'd mitigate the risk that way initially. So having a couple of people come in that were able to work from home wasn't a big deal. We could accommodate them pretty easily because of the size of our room. And so when, when the pandemic is totally over and social and social distancing is no longer required, do you plan to still use remote operations for certain use cases? And if so, what are those? Yeah, I would love to. And I think we will. So we've had a philosophy for years uh, we really need to be one control center. The way I describe it to a lot of folks is we're one control center with two geographical locations. Uh, we have plans to build another control center to consolidate both control centers into one. The reasons we had in the business case to do that are still there. I think we'll continue to pursue that path uh, of having one control center and everybody in it. Obviously, we'll take some of our learnings from this into the design of that building. But I do see us continuing to have the ability to work remotely, really for the same reasons we started initially. When we need to fill a shift quickly, if someone calls in sick or someone has to go home sick, if we need storm support quickly in Georgia and the Southeast, during the summer we have almost daily thunderstorms somewhere in the state. They're pretty violent and, and cause some you know, eight to 12 hour restoration efforts. In, in that local area. So there's many times we need to quickly bring an operator on for storm support and having them be able to, to log in immediately. Uh, the sooner we can do that, the better support we can provide to our, to our folks in the field. To be able to continue to be able to do that effectively, I think we'll also have to schedule people to work from home normally so that we know that the system is up to date, everything's going to work when they're called upon. Looking in the future, I would see us either keeping or replacing all the laptops that we have dedicated to operators now, uh, adding additional monitors for a, you know, a, a semi-permanent home setup, and then scheduling one of those operators per week uh, to work a shift from home just to make sure all of the systems are working remotely like they should. So you mentioned going to one control center. Do you see the remote operations as being a viable backup control center then? I do. That was one of the, the most troubling things or worrisome things is, is if you're in one control center, something happens to the building, you know, what are your other options? We have already set up other locations with distribution control center assets in operating headquarters that 
are part of our backup plan. They originally were there for storm support, but we don't send people out to the field anymore for storm support. We bring them back into the control center. So we have the assets there, and many of them are geographically close to where we could quickly drive to that facility and pick up the state while other operators are going to other locations. But the ability of folks to work from home, we could easily call someone that's off shift and say, we have some sort of emergency. We need you to log in and and just monitor until we're able to get back reestablished. That definitely will be part of the resiliency plan of one control center. Jason, you mentioned going to one control center, and I know people will have, you know, commutes to that control center. Has there been any discussion about working from home from a human performance standpoint that might actually improve operations? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have employees that drive some as far as two and a half, three hours to work their 12-hour shift. And if you look at the time that from the time they get up until when they get home, sometimes it leaves barely eight hours for sleep if they're able to to go right, go right to sleep. Uh, so so there'll be some times that that we also could use working from home as a, a way to reduce operator fatigue. During storms, we often ask people to stay late, and then you know they've they got another shift they have to fill the next day. That'd be an opportunity maybe where we ask them to stay late, then pick up their next shift from home the next day. Uh, That could uh, reduce the need for them to stay in a hotel room, uh, which we provide when that happens. But unless they plan for that, that's not an ideal situation because they didn't bring bring a change of clothes or didn't bring their toiletries or medication or anything else. So uh, even though we offer the hotel room, often most of them drive home anyway. So that would definitely be another advantage of of being able to continue operating from home is to reduce the operator fatigue from travel or just working a long shift. Okay, and then one last benefit that I've heard you mention before that I I wouldn't want to be uh, missed is that you've had operators work from home after they've been exposed and would normally have to be quarantined and things like that. Can you discuss that? Yeah, that that's that really was what started it all. While we changed our philosophy from level A operators only to getting everybody up and running, was we had an employee who was a contact of a contact that should have been quarantined uh, according to our guidance. They were, but they were able to continue to work their shifts remotely. And, and during the six plus months of, of COVID, we've had many, many cases where operators have been quarantined based on contact or contact of a contact and we've asked them to continue to work remotely from home one example is we have one of our early employees daughter was diagnosed with covid so he was a a contact and the way our guidance is is that it would be 10 days after the family member stops showing symptoms and has a negative test there's another 14 days where the employee would be asked to quarantine. So instead of losing an employee off shift for you know essentially a month, we're able to continue having that employee fill the shifts remotely from home. So that, that's been a huge benefit. We, we've essentially maintained nearly full staffing throughout the pandemic with some minor exceptions of some level C operators still just kind of in their initial training that have been quarantined for one reason or the other. 
we've lost a few of those off of shift, but they were really not filling a true shift anyway. They were just training. Some of those weren't able to continue the training remotely, but most we've been able to just keep our shifts full because of the ability to work from home. And I should mention too, in addition to working from home, we also have folks working from other Georgia power facilities. We have some working from a business office that's uh, been closed that that person didn't have the sufficient internet capability at their house, but they lived close to another Georgia power office where they could drive in to fill those shifts. And that provides some resiliency as well because you're on, you're then on the company network and then you're also usually backed up with a generator. So in addition to the folks in the control center proper, we have, we do have some shifts with people in other Georgia power facilities, business offices and operating headquarters that, have most of the same resiliency things we have inside the control center. Okay, I think that's all my questions. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again to uh, see how this has progressed uh, and what new use cases you can come up with for this technology. Thanks a lot for your time, Jason. Yeah, thanks. My pleasure. This concludes our podcast but does not end the discussion on this important topic. If you'd like to learn more about this and other operations-related topics, please go to epri.com and search on Distribution Operations. Thanks for listening.